It's Friday, October 9th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris had their first and only debate on Wednesday. And while not as chaotic as the Trump-Biden debate, there were a few moments that stood out. That smile from Senator Harris when Pence was trying to talk over her, and the star of the show, the fly that stood on Pence's head for two minutes. There was lots of coronavirus talk and plenty of dodged questions. Sabrina Siddiqui, national political reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for a breakdown of the vice presidential debate. Next, the NFL is dealing with a coronavirus outbreak mostly centered on one team, the Tennessee Titans. Since last week, 21 members of the organization have tested positive for COVID-19. But as the cases mount, the scheduling of games is starting to become an issue. The NFL is even considering possibly adding an additional week to make up the games missed. The NFL Players Association is also investigating the cause of the outbreak. Mark Maskey, NFL reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Stop playing politics with people's lives. The reality is that we will have a vaccine, we believe, before the end of this year. And it will have the capacity to save countless American lives. Joining us now is Sabrina Siddiqui, national political reporter at The Wall Street Journal and political analyst at CNN. Thanks for joining us, Sabrina. Thanks for having me. Wanted to have you join us to help break down the vice presidential debate. It was the first and only debate that Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris are going to have. Just overall impressions I want to start with. There was a lot of dodging of questions. It was not as chaotic as the Trump-Biden debate by any means, but the moderators still did have a little tough time kind of controlling the room. Both Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence were going over on time in a few different moments. So, Sabrina, start us off with your overall impressions of what happened. Well, I think to your point, it was certainly less chaotic than the presidential debate between President Trump and Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. There was some interrupting. You had the tense moment a number of times where Senator Harris turned to Vice President Pence and said, I'm speaking, I'm <laughs> yeah. speaking. It was her way of telling him to stop interrupting her and that she wouldn't stand for interruptions. But by and large, this was a debate where all that each candidate had to do was try and not make the person at the top of the ticket look worse and to try and sort of maintain, at least for Kamala Harris's status quo, for Mike Pence to try and perhaps defend a president who is struggling in both national and battleground state polls. So I think coming out of that debate, nothing really fundamentally shifted those dynamics. Biden is still leading Trump, and there is not much that Mike Pence was able to do, even if he presented a more empathetic tone or tried to, to really change the trajectory of the race, because ultimately people don't vote for the vice president. They vote for the person who's at the top of the ticket. Real quick, before we move on to some of the big moments, just something on the optics of what was happening. As you mentioned, Senator Kamala Harris constantly saying, hey, you know, I'm speaking. It's my turn right now. The smile that she had, you know, when she was looking at him, when he was going over time and had his remarks. And then on the other side, it was blowing up on Twitter, Mike Pence's red eye. And then the fly that was standing on his head for two minutes kind of took uh, a lot of the breath out of it. And a lot of people had fun with it on Twitter. Absolutely. And I think the way a lot of people saw the debate could really be captured by the fascination with the fly. Yeah, that exactly. The most notable thing to come out of the debate was the relentless focus on the fact that a fly was sitting on Mike Pence's head. But 
I do think the heavier lift was really for Mike Pence. And optics aside, this debate also was coming at a time when the president and a growing number of staffers at the White House have tested positive for the coronavirus. So there was a lot riding, I think, on Mike Pence. And so as we get more into the moments that mattered, I think that was really fundamentally what the debate was going to be about, even if there is this commentary about facial expressions right. and the infamous fly now seen around the world. Let's start off there on the on the big moments from the debate. Coronavirus obviously was going to be central. It's what they started off with. There was uh, some dodging definitely by Mike Pence when it came to being asked about the U.S. death toll as a percentage of the population, how it's higher than almost every other wealthy nation in the world. So definitely a lot of defense from Mike Pence, but it looked like they were living in two different worlds the way they were describing the handling of the pandemic. I think that for the Biden campaign, the coronavirus pandemic and the president's handling of it has really been at the center of his message for five months now, going into month six. And so it was quite clear that Mike Pence was prepared for that, knowing that that would really be at the core of what Senator Harris would attack the Trump administration on. But when he responded, I think he was sort of painting a picture that is not in line with what most of the American public is feeling at home. You know, they've tried to sound these positive notes about how the country is actually not doing that bad, how they've done everything they possibly could, how he said President Trump has put the health of Americans first. If you look at a lot of the mixed messaging the administration has sent about basic public health guidelines like wearing a mask, social distancing, you know, the president before he contracted coronavirus was still holding both indoor and outdoor large-scale rallies without any distancing in place. Even after he's contracted the virus, people are walking around the White House despite the outbreak there, not wearing masks. That was the reality that Mike Pence had to counter, and it's just not clear that he was able to do it, in part because in order to do so, he would have to take a different position than President Trump. And so he really was defending, uh, despite being the head of the coronavirus task force, what the president's position on coronavirus has been despite the fact that it has not been in line with public health experts or what a lot of Americans have been experiencing at home. Mike Pence had a strong attack when he was asking her about the vaccine or when uh, Senator Harris was talking about the vaccine, saying, when the scientists say it's ready to go, I'm going to do it. When President Trump says it's ready to go, if he tells me to take it, I'm not going to do it. And he said, you know, stop playing politics with people's lives, stop undermining a vaccine. I thought that that was a strong moment because it is a tough balance for the Biden campaign to walk, at least when it comes to vaccines and the safety of the whole thing. This has been a balancing act for the Biden campaign, in part because it was Senator Harris who first said she would not take a vaccine before the election if Trump were to announce one. And that kind of kicked off this focus on whether or not the Biden campaign was trying to undermine public confidence in a vaccine at a time when polling already is showing that there is not a great deal of trust in a coronavirus vaccine. So that put her in the position of having to separate President Trump from public health officials like Dr. Anthony Fauci, who have not given any indication that if there is a vaccine in the next few months, the public should not trust it. And so that was a place where she had to be more clear in saying, if health officials greenlight the vaccine, then it's fine. And maybe try to distinguish between simply President Trump 
announcing that there was a vaccine and that it was safe to take. You know, another piece is, you know, how far did she go in pointing out that there is this outbreak at the White House, that the coronavirus is once again front and center with just less than a month to go until the election? It seemed like there was a tactical decision on the part of the Biden campaign not to go after the president's diagnosis or the growing number of cases at the White House. But there are a lot of people, I think, certainly Democratic operatives I've spoken to who believe that it actually would have been within bounds and perhaps as clear a reminder as any that the people who are in charge of leading the country out of this pandemic have actually been affected directly by the virus because of a lot of the ways in which they've played fast and loose with the public health guidelines. Another area where I thought it was strong for Senator Harris was when they were talking about health care and, you know, them trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. She said, hey, they're coming for you if you have a pre-existing condition, heart disease, diabetes, breast cancer. I thought that was a strong moment because on the Republican side, they really didn't have a plan. We went through repeal and replace. They didn't have a plan then, and they dropped the issue. There was no plan after that. And then just uh, briefly on that front, too, uh, another missed opportunity for Senator Harris was talking about packing the court. Joe Biden was asked about it. They knew she was going to be asked about it. I think they need to come up with an answer for that. That is, I think, it was probably one of the lines that Pence gained a lot of traction from, which is where he said, I just want the record to show that she didn't answer the question when he tried to pivot from healthcare to this idea of packing the court, adding seats to the Supreme Court, where, yes, he was trying to deflect from the conversation around healthcare and pre-existing conditions. But it's not just President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence who are talking about reforming the Supreme Court or expanding the Supreme Court. It's actually a very popular movement within the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And so it's not clear how sustainable it is for Senator Harris or Vice President Biden to continue and dismiss it as a distraction. But I think the calculation they're making is that both sides are very energized by this Supreme Court vacancy left by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so issues of court packing really only resonate with the base of each party who already, based on most surveys, are poised to turn out in very large numbers. And their interest, at least, is to keep the focus on the coronavirus pandemic, which is what they think this election will fundamentally be about. So I think in the coming weeks, we'll see if that calculation is true. If court packing is more of a Washington issue or something that voters are actually concerned about when they go and cast their ballots. Sabrina Siddiqui, national political reporter at The Wall Street Journal and political analyst at CNN. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. So with the Titans still not back in their facility today, it becomes now a, a major issue with their game uh, this Sunday against the Buffalo Bills in Nashville, whether that game can go forward. Or not. And then that also has sort of other implications going forward because the Bills are scheduled to play a Thursday night game next week. So that sort of restricts your ability to move uh, this game back. Joining us now is Mark Maskey, NFL reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about the coronavirus outbreak that's afflicting the NFL right now. Most of it is centered around the Tennessee Titans, but there have been some other confirmed cases on other teams like the Patriots, the Raiders. It's getting to the point where the NFL might have to consider a lot of options, whether they continue to postpone games, they might have to add an extra week. It's starting to build up on them. So, Mark, tell us what's going on. 
You know, you know, as you mentioned, the, this has basically been a, an issue with one team so far. You know, the Tennessee Titans with more than 20 positive tests going back to September 24th. Um, I, I think the NFL still believes in terms of the way it's going about this with its protocols, and we've seen the NFL do it in a very different way than the NBA did in a way much more similar to the way Major League Baseball has done it with, with teams being, you know, based in their home cities, uh, practicing at their own facilities, playing games in their own stadiums, whether that's with or without fans. But I still think the NFL remains confident that these protocols will do and will work if they're followed. And now that, that, that's obviously become an issue with the Titans, whether or not the Titans followed the protocols. They say they did. The NFL and the NFL Players Association are looking into that. But, you know, and if the Titans are found to have violated those protocols, you will see some major penalties come down. But in the meantime, the NFL has to worry about you know, getting the games played, scheduling the games. And so with the Titans still not back in their facility today, it becomes now a major issue with their game uh, this Sunday against the Buffalo Bills and Nashville, whether that game can go forward or not. And then that also has sort of other implications going forward because the Bills are scheduled to play a Thursday night game next week. So that sort of restricts your ability to move uh, this game back until Monday or Tuesday unless you also want to start messing with that game. The Titans have already had one game postponed until later in the season. So if you wanted to postpone this game until later in the season, it sort of entails adding an extra week onto the end of the schedule for everybody. So, you know, it gets just more and more difficult both from a scheduling perspective and sort of, you know, just an overall perspective of dealing with all of this as these cases mount. But so far, as I've said, you know, there have been smaller issues with other teams, but for the most part, this problem has been concentrated on one team, the Tennessee Titans. Considering all the things that other leagues have had to do with the bubble and the NBA and in MLB, they reduced the number of games they were playing. I mean, to add an extra week, I know there's a lot of logistical problems, but it can be done. They just have to go through and and see what's best for all of them. You talked about some of these penalties that the teams could face. What kind of penalties are they facing? Because we're hearing that the Tennessee Titans might have had a, a team workout that they shouldn't have been at. They're saying that quarterback Ryan Tannehill was among the group that worked out there. So what kind of penalties could they be facing? You know, I, I mean, I, I don't think we know for sure yet specifically in this case, but Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, sent a memo out to all the teams on Monday of this week saying basically, you know, everybody needs to adhere to the protocols. And, and if there are any future violations that affect the, the, the you know, that involve rescheduling or uh, affecting other teams, that those penalties could go all the way up to forfeitures of games or loss of draft picks. So, you know, these could be very severe penalties if the Titans are, are found to have violated the protocols. You mentioned Part of the investigation that the NFL and the NFL Players Association do centers around whether the Titans players gathered away from the facility um, last week for workouts when they were told not to gather away from the facility. And it's not just one workout. I mean, there, there's sort of been one workout somewhat documented. It's been reported. There have been some photographs from it. But, but I, I, I'm told the investigation centers around, you know, m- workouts, uh, plural, multiple workouts, not just one. So, you know, if that happened, you know, that's obviously something the NFL is going to be very unhappy about. I think there's, they're also looking into other issues in terms of following the protocols inside the facility, you know, wh- whether the, the, the directives about wearing masks, wearing face coverings, and some of the other protocols were followed. So if this turns out to be a 
situation where the Titans are found to have violated the protocols in a number of ways. And right now, that's not established yet. The Titans have said that they, that they complied with the protocols. But if it's established by the NFL and the NFLPA that, that there were some, some widespread violations here, and I think you're talking about major penalties in terms of probably very large fines, maybe suspensions, maybe the loss of draft pick. I, I really don't think the NFL wants to get into forfeiting games because, you know, if just from a business perspective, the NFL is better off if the games are played rather than forfeited. You, you, you don't make money off of a forfeit. You can't televise a forfeit. <laughs> right. So from a business perspective, that clearly would be something that the NFL would like to avoid. But in terms of sort of the other range of penalties that would be on the table in terms of uh, certainly fines, maybe suspensions, maybe the loss of draft picks, I think we could see some very significant penalties handed down on the Titans if indeed they are found to have violated the protocols and caused these disruptions to the schedule. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen that the NFL is pretty, you know, they are going to be enforcing some penalties. We already saw a bunch of fines leveled against coaches and other people that weren't right. wearing their masks properly. So definitely know that they're serious about it. Let's just go back to how many people have been testing positive. You mentioned in the article, 21 members of the organization, 12 players, nine non-players tested positive since last week for the Titans. We have people on the Patriots and the Raiders also testing positive is it confined to these three teams, or are we hearing about other teams as well? I don't think it's a, it's a large number. I mean, I think I say, this is off the top of my head. I believe in, in the last round of testing results that the NFL announced, um, you know, basically a, a week of, of testing, that there were 26 positives um, around the league. And that, that's when you're factoring in this very large number uh, for the Titans, not right. all 23 of which fell within that, those testing dates. But you know, certainly the, the large majority uh, are with this Tennessee outbreak. I think the 26 that we're talking about were up for six in the previous round of uh, six positives in the previous round of testing that had been announced by the NFL and the NFL Players Association. So for the most part, you're talking about, you know, while this is a very big challenge to, to try to uh, have a season to try to operate with teams at their own facilities, you know, in their own uh, cities, in their own stadiums, with everyone, you know, while being tested daily, also going home at night, not staying in a bubble. It's a very large endeavor, a very large challenge that the NFL has undertaken, but for the most part, I think you're seeing just about every team, with one very notable exception, uh, being able to, for the most part, make this work. Now, obviously, there have been some other issues. You had the postponed game this past weekend for the Patriots and Chiefs, pushed back from Sunday to a Monday night. But for the most part, I, the NFL is probably exceeding what we thought they'd be able to do going into the season. Now, that bar got raised uh, in terms of everyone's ex- expectations over the first three weeks of the season, where we saw very few positive tests and no disruption to the schedule. But to me, uh, you know, this is, is for the most part more in line with what we probably expected going into the season. Now, you, you know, you were hopeful, but from a health and safety perspective, you wouldn't see something like what happened in Tennessee. But to me, for every other team so far, what we've seen is probably about in line with what we expected going into the season and probably still, even with the racing issues, probably still a little bit better than, than, than anyone had a right to expect the NFL to do with this given the way that they were going about it yeah well hopefully we get it contained because we need football we need this outlet right now with all that's going on so hopefully it gets underhand pretty quickly mark maskey nfl reporter at the washington post thank you very much for joining us thanks so much for having me again i appreciate it that's it for this week 
Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.